Hey everyone, I want to begin today with a line from Jesus that might have something to say to our current cultural moment. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask, as we ask nearly every week, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Like give us a posture of receiving, whether that's encouragement, whether there's some, there's some rebuke in there, there's some challenge in there, there's some comfort, Lord. And we want, we want truth, we want reality, Lord, we want you. And so I pray over these next few minutes where I get to share, and then as we transition into a time of communion, Lord, that you would, um, in this odd and strange moment and season, would you reveal yourself to us? pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's a way of saying God is with. His favor rests on the peacemakers. This line comes in uh, what the scriptures call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it comes in a subsection of that sermon called the Beatitudes, it's the beginning of the manifesto, Jesus' manifesto for the kingdom of God. This is what he spends almost all his time talking about, is the kingdom of God here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come close. Uh, the kingdom of God, you can just, again, think of this if you're brand new to the scriptures. Uh, just take the word for a moment. It's like the dome where God's rule and reign are coming to pass. Uh, it's what heaven looks like on earth. It's everything in its right place. It's the way of life. This is his manifesto for how we as followers of Jesus are to live. So the context for this phrase uh, begins in verse 3 of Matthew 5. Uh, and it reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, in verse 9, for they will be called children of God. Now, these blesseds, these beatitudes, are not random. And they aren't a teaching uh, about what you're supposed to do. Jesus has not given us a list of people or qualities of like how to get things right. Take, for instance, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not a positive phrase. This is not to be confused with humility. That is not what the phrase poor in spirit meant or means. The poor in spirit describes those that are broken and screwed up and hurting. They are at their bottom. Uh, take the phrase, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is clearly here, right? Not saying God is on the side of those who are righteous. He's blessing the lack of God is with those who aren't righteous. He's blessing the gap. 
The first four blesseds uh, refer to conditions, not commands. God is with the broken and hurting and lowly and starved and jacked up and weak. And the second four, which is where we read, blessed are the peacemakers, those refer to how we relate to others. There's a progression, and we're going to keep coming back to this progression over the next couple minutes together. Basically, it's like when God meets you in these low places, it affects the way you relate to the people around you. Maybe you could say it like this. The first four are how God meets us. The next four are how we meet others. When God meets you in your brokenness and your sin and your failures, and when you experience the grace of God at your lowest point, it becomes a bit harder to be, I don't know, judgmental of others when they are at their lowest point. The first four are, uh, are about experiencing grace. If you're brand new to the way of Jesus, grace is a big and central concept. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor. It's not getting what you deserve. So if God's with the sinful and the mourning and the righteousness lacking and the weak, when God meets us in those low places, he comes to us with love and forgiveness. He comes to us with an invitation to turn back, to renew our thinking, to repent. In fact, one place in the letter of Romans, it says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to that place of repentance, of returning. When this happens to you, and some of you, a lot of you out there who are followers of Jesus, who are part of this family, when that has happened to you, you know this sense that you can no longer see the world in quite the same way. It becomes much more difficult to live in the same divisive culture that everyone else is, where we are always the righteous ones and they are always the wrong ones. When you're met with perfect love, it doesn't just change you for your sake. It changes how you relate to others, or at least it should. First John uh, 4, 18, if you want to turn with me there, First John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So when you've been met by perfect love, we don't need to hide. We don't need to be insecure. And so when we love others with that sort of love, that love we encounter in Jesus, we don't need to protect like our, um, we don't need to, sorry, not protect. We don't need to uh, project our issues on to other people. We don't need to make ourselves feel more secure in our rightness. We don't need to pontificate. We don't need to display some toxic self-righteousness and power because all of that stems from fear. When you're met with perfect love, when you trust Jesus's words that God is with the broken, blessed are the poor in spirit, something profound can happen. The way that you label people, changes, the way you assume things about people, it gets disrupted, the way you confront others, right? Not do you confront others. Confronting others is a good thing. Christian love is volitional, but the way you do it, 
It isn't racked with fear, but with the fruit of the Spirit, love and patience and self-control. All of the labeling systems that we're like being discipled into and that are being shoved onto us, they don't quite work anymore. The idea of us and them becomes muddier. I, I become able to embrace people because God has embraced me right where I am. The way you listen or just listening at all feels like profound in this moment. Like you can listen without fear when you've encountered the perfect love of God. My friend Ashita Moore writes, listening may be one of the most profound and powerful acts of peacemaking that we can do today. Peacemaking, that's where we started. I'm able to make peace with people, to embrace people because God has embraced me, because God has made peace with me. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. That's a big idea. To be a person who is making peace in the world is to apparently bear a striking image to God. Right? This tells us something about God, about what he's actually like. He has made peace with us. Again, this is a very big concept with all sorts of edges that we can explore. But in Jesus, it says in Colossians 1 uh, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you. See, what the gospel, the good news, does is confront our version of our story with God's version of our story. This is what it does. It confronts our version of our story with God's version of our story. It is a brutally honest and liberating story. It's good news. It begins with the sure and certain truth that we are loved and that in spite of whatever has gone horribly wrong deep in our hearts and has spread to every corner of the world, in spite of our sins and our rebellion and our failure and our hard hearts, in spite of what's been done to us or what we have done, God has made peace with us. We needed this, or I, I should say we need this all of the time. This is in part what we do when we come to the communion table. We remember Alia Joy says, I am embodied in sickness. I am hidden in Christ. In him, I am washed clean, broken but whole. In him, I live and breathe. In him, I have peace. We need to remember this. H.G. Wells said one day, just talking about our human nature, about our need for God to make peace with us. He says, I'm not so much of a human being as I am a civil war. And every man confronts the civil war within himself. We know the truth, and yet we lie. We know how to be just, and yet we're unjust. We know how to live our lives on the plane of love, and yet we hate. Or we are unfaithful to those who we should be faithful to. 
We stand amid the high road and yet we deliberately choose the low road. We know the ways of peace, yet we go to war. We have resources for great economic systems where there could be equitable distributions of wealth and yet we monopolize and we take it for ourselves and forget about our brothers. And when we come to see ourselves, we discover that all of us are in fact sinners. As it says in the book of Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. God has made peace with us. And God is the one who is making all things new. God has reconciled us. And we are told then that he has given us that same work of reconciliation, that same work of making peace, of joining with God and making peace with ourselves and with each other. So blessed are the peacemakers because they look a lot like God. Let's flesh this out a bit more. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 43. We read, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Basically, you've heard it said, take sides but I tell you, move toward them. See, Jesus' followers don't draw lines to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in. We move toward them. If someone has drawn a line in the sand, your job apparently here is to move toward them, to move toward the other, or to pray for them. To pray is just to wish you know, God's best for them in some sense. It's to stand in the gap between them and God. It's to pray God's blessing on them. This is so counterintuitive. And actually to a lot of us right now, this is almost offensive. And so here's the why. The why is that you might be children of your father in heaven. This is the same thing that Jesus says earlier. He causes, it goes on the verse in 45. It says, he causes, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? The tax collectors are the worst of the worst, by the way. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Remember, this was written to an agrarian people. This was written to farmers. So I say that in that sun and rain are what? Good things. God sends good things to everybody, wherever they are on your personal good person to bad person spectrum. Why? Because God's like that. When you've been met, when you've encountered God in all of your humanity, in all of your privilege or in all of your powerlessness, all of your sin and all of your beauty, and you've been blessed there, you can, no longer going, you can no longer go around shoving people into boxes. You can start to see people how God sees them. There is rain and there is sun on both ends of the spectrum. Now, there's this great section in a story uh, about Joshua that I always think about when I recall this passage, when I, find, when I come across that verse and I come across this teaching of Jesus. It's Joshua 5.13. Just turn with me there real quick. Joshua 
Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I could go off on this for hours, but like take off your sandals. It's like he's saying, have a bigger perspective on things, a God-like perspective. Like keep your eyes on the heavenly perspective. Perhaps the path of God is I'm on neither side because I'm on both. Now, this isn't some moral equivocation. There are better ways and there are worse ways. There are more just actions and there are less just actions. There are oppressed people and there are oppressors. But what this is, is a profound and difficult path. The path of God, the path of Jesus is a difficult path that acknowledges that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that God, quote, desires everyone to come to know him that God is reconciling everything like we read before back to him. When God is with you right where you are, those first four blesseds, you of course will have more mercy for others. You will always be more merciful. You will know just how broken you are. You will, of course, then, like it says in the next verse, you will be pure of heart. You're gonna be less judgmental and you're gonna be less cynical or at least the possibility is there. There is a progression here. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's like I'm beginning to have deep, fearless love for everyone, for the people hurting others and the people who are being hurt, for oppressed and oppressor. You wanna bring people together You want to do as the scriptures say, make peace as far as you are able. This is what will come out of you. And when you do this, when you make peace in the way of Jesus in a divisive world, in a world where the money hungry algorithms are preying on the worst aspects of our humanity right now, tribalism, when you are a peacemaker, in this sort of world, well, Jesus says what might happen is, well, we read this in the last beatitude that we haven't mentioned yet. He says what might happen is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oshita Moore says again, peace is fierce. It has to be because violence and discord won't go down without a fight. Those who wield peace in the face of the world's violence do it fiercely. Now, there are all sorts of different kinds of violence in the world right now that need to be met with peacekeepers. But today, to turn our attention to the division, we can't look away and say, well, to hell with all of those other folks. We are not afforded that luxury. I should say as a follower of Jesus, you are not afforded that luxury. 
to be a peacemaker in the way of Jesus is to be able to say, I know I'm convinced of my rightness, but there might be some wrongness in there too. Or you, or you could say, there could be some wrongness in my rightness and some rightness in my wrongness. Blessed are the peaceful bridge builders in a war-torn world, for they are God's children working in the family business. Now, I want to just end there. But I want to say one last thing. To walk in this way of humility, to walk in this way of power under, the way of fearless love is to walk the path that brings you peace in the middle of whatever fight you are in as a peacemaker. It's not a peace that's free from tragedy. It's not a peace that's free from illness or bankruptcy or divorce or depression or heartache. But it is peace rooted in the trust that the life Jesus gives us is deeper and it is wider and it is stronger and more enduring than whatever your current circumstances might be. Because all we see is not all that there is. And the last word about you and me and whatever struggle you're in has not been spoken. And so today, we're going to end here. And I want to invite you, like I do most weeks, to come and join us in Zoom. We're going to take communion together. And I really want to kind of land the sermon there. I want to land it as we take the bread and take the cup and we remember the peace that has been made with us. And we remember how Paul instructs us to come to that table. He gives us some very specific instructions that actually relate to how we make peace with one another before we come to that table and remember the peace that God has made with us. And then if you want to stick around, I want to offer up some practices, some like daily practices that might be... um, beneficial and good for us because right now in our divided world, we need a united church more than ever before. So come and join us.